On today's podcast, I had Aaron Shoemaker on. Aaron has sold his company for multiple nine figures. Pretty crazy story that he talks about where he started this company in his uncle's basement, selling security systems. We talk about what it was like navigating um, a startup business like that at 24 years old and just figuring out how to do all the simple things we know today, like marketing, like you know, handling competition from all of these um, competitors, what it's like when you have to go up against Amazon because they decide to get in the security game. Along with that, we also talk about the crypto markets. He recently started a crypto fund um, and he's very bullish on a few different things that you want to make sure you uh, hear about. We also go into what I am doing with my NFT. I think this is the first uh, podcast where I publicly even talked about my NFT. So uh, if you've been wondering what my plans are to do in this space, I uh, review or I reveal a little bit of that. And uh, overall, we just talk about like what it's like as an entrepreneur going through failure on every single business. It's cool to relate that, you know, almost every business I've started has been um, a failure in the beginning, only for us to adapt and pivot and figure out what made us successful. Um, Aaron's business was no different. And adapting through those changes was what allowed him to sell it for multiple nine figures. So um, I think you're going to enjoy this interview. It's one of my favorites. So all that being said, let's jump into it. Welcome to the Ryan Pineda Show. Where our mission is to invest. I only expect to make money in things that I understand. Innovate. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And inspire. I am much more likely to hit my goal just due to putting it out there. You're now rocking with the best. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ryan Pineda Show. Today... I think I have my first entrepreneur that sold his business for multiple nine figures on the show. I met this man back in Puerto Rico at a mastermind, and uh, we hit it off talking about business and different things. And uh, he's got some really cool things going on post-sale, like a crypto fund. He's helping some people. He actually is even um, partners with some of my students now at Future Flipper as well, which was super random when we started talking. So I got none other than Aaron Shoemaker. What's up, man? How you doing, Ryan? Dude, it's good to have you in Vegas. Good to be here. Excited to be in Sin City. I know, man. You hit me up and you're like, man, I'm in town. Like, let's let's get together. And I said, well, I'm just a content machine. So if we're going to talk and catch up, I'm just going to get it on camera. Good stuff. And my reaction was, I'll bring my game face on, my, my podcast face. I know, dude. You're like Tim Duncan, game face, just ready to go. Rock and roll. So, yeah, dude. Rock so, and roll. So tell me about... um. Who you are, man, for those who don't know you. Aaron Shoemaker, born and raised in Michigan. Spent uh, most of my days outside of, no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, born and raised in Michigan. Uh, grew up playing tennis. Went to college at Georgetown. When I was at Georgetown, ran a, a uh, $12 million bank in college. So How did that, like, okay, before we even jump into, you know, this multiple nine-figure exit, like, what does that even mean? How did you start a bank? I didn't start a bank, so they had a bank on Georgetown's campus. So started like 20 years before, and uh, there were these flyers all across campus. Like five days into school, I saw go work for all these different companies like Goldman Sachs or Bain or whatever, and I was like, I, I got to check this out. I have no idea what any of that means, but it sounds cool. Yeah. A uh, girl I was interested in at the time was like, I'm I'm joining this bank, so I yeah. decided to, to check it out. So they, they had – Almost all of Georgetown's students' money, they made loans, they had checking accounts, and you started as a teller and you worked your way all the way up to being CEO. So, And you became the CEO? Became the CEO my senior year. 
Wow. So did you get paid? No pay. So, uh, we, <laughs> wow. Yeah. All, all part-time volunteer. Um, but we had, uh, the best parties on campus. So that's how at we, the bank at the were bank. you just taking money from the bank? Like how did you have the best parties? Uh, well, since we didn't have to pay our employees, we, we did make money. You so. ran a sizable margin, ran, no overhead. Yep. The, we got, we got a discount on rent, uh, from the university. We, we got a discount on employee labor since it was all part-time non-paid. Yep. Uh, and allowed us to to buy uh, buy the best keg beer. <laughs> so I mean, like, what did being the CEO of the campus bank even do? Uh, oh were, man, were you making mortgage loans or like were you making entrepreneur loans? Like, what did you do? No, we were, we didn't do mortgage loans. We did uh, car loans. We we started doing used car loans when I was there. So it was regular car loans, used car loans, personal secured loans, unsecured loans. Um, People needed money for anything except a house. We, yeah, look at it. So. Right, that's crazy, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, from that experience, what do you think? Like, was the biggest takeaway? So that was really my uh, my foray into, or really the hook that got me into being an entrepreneur. So, after Georgetown and this credit union, I went to work at Goldman Sachs for two years. Did my uh, time as a an investment banker, which was totally fun. But as I was there, I kept going back to this credit union, all the the fun I had breaking things, putting them back together better than they, I found them and realized that was my passion was really building things. So what it gave me was the, you know, the, the grit to deal with everything you would deal with in a real business, like personnel issues, hiring, firing. Uh, we had a, another bank that actually came on campus and tried to compete with us, like <laughs> a, a real one. So all the, all the things, Wow, all the things. That's so funny. The the basically the nonprofit bank getting competition. It was crazy. Yeah, I, re- <laughs> I remember I was I was uh, doing my summer internship at Goldman, and I got a message from the the three people that were there for the summer, and they they called up and they said, uh, "Yeah, Chevy Chase Bank um, is opening a branch in the same building." And I was like, "Hmm, okay then. Well, I guess we." I guess we got to deal with that. So <laughs> guess we're going to have to start actually doing some marketing. <laughs> exactly. And the, the funny thing was uh, open account weekend when we would get all of our, our members, we would just you know, be in the packet. We outnumbered them by a factor of about, I think it was like 25 to one. So <laughs> we just had the army of credit union people just yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Where they went, we would send like 10 people. We crushed yeah. them. Dude, that's so funny. I love it. So you go to Goldman Sachs and like, how was that? I loved it. So it was really dynamic. I think it gets kind of a bad rap. Um, Wall Street does. I'd, if I had another career and I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, being a banker would have been a pretty fun fun career, but dynamic, very fast moving. I probably, much like at the credit union, got, I don't know, six, seven, eight years worth of business experience in the course of two years. Right. So learned a lot about business, learned a lot about you know, how to conduct yourself, uh, some about how to yeah, it was really just a you know, great learning experience, but realized I wanted to be out there on my own. So as I was there, coming up with all sorts of different business ideas and ultimately landed on um, what would become Frontpoint, which was a, was and is a DIY home security company. Okay. So we, we one day just, uh, so we wrote a business plan, you know, put it by friends to see if we were crazy and, um, Person after person said, you're not crazy. So we decided to quit our day job, move back to D.C., and then rented my uncle's basement in D.C. and set up shop. So first 
first HQ is Uncle's Basement. And Sounds like a classic off to the roll. multi-million dollar story. <laughs> the yeah. garage or the basement or something like that. 100%. So I want to take a step back before we talk about North Point because I know um, – Front Point. Front Point, sorry, um, that there's a ton of stuff going in there and uh, how you guys built that out. But um, in Goldman, right, you talked about how – before being an entrepreneur, you really loved it. You loved working at the bank. You loved working at Goldman. And um, for me, I have a hard time relating because I've never had a real job. And, you know, baseball was all I wanted to do. And every time I've started a business, like it's me starting it with my roles, my vision, and no boss, just like, here's what we're doing. And even like if I have partners in a business, they still know it's like, yep, Ryan's just whatever. We're here for the ride and we're going to execute the vision. Um and it's funny because I'm literally in the middle of reading um, the CEO of Blackstone's book, Stephen Schwartzman, What It Takes. Have you ever read it? I have not. So I'm not done with it yet, but he just talks about kind of this similar path where, you know, he goes to school, he gets an MBA, um, I think he went to Harvard, and then he goes straight into Lehman Brothers. And at Lehman, he works on all these big deals with these big companies and all this stuff and like... By the time he was 38 years old, um, he finally left Lehman, and he was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Like, I don't want to work for these guys anymore. And I haven't finished the rest of the story, but, like, he pretty much said the same thing you just said, where by working at Lehman, he learned so much about business that has impacted him, you know, and obviously Blackstone is ridiculous at this point. So I just kind of, like, am curious, as an entrepreneur, what is it that you are learning at these Wall Street companies? Because I've never had that experience, so I just don't even know what I don't know. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> one of the biggest things was we had exposure to all sorts of different businesses, how they were run. Uh, one of the biggest things was really managing risk. So we learned how to analyze deals. We learned you know, the most important thing is, is not often the return. The most important thing is risk and mitigating and managing you know, the dollars that are out rule number one, Warren Buffett's rule number one is don't lose money. And we had crazy, we would go to crazy lengths to make sure we were properly underwriting deals. And that was making sure that, you know, we, we knew what we were investing in. And, um, a lot of the, the lessons were really around the level of depth that you really want to get to, to understand the heart of how a business works. So the lessons were around risk management really dissecting and understanding what makes a business go and what makes a business fail. Uh, and then there were, you know, the soft skills of how people in a professional world conduct themselves. And some of that we took with us and some of it we decided to, you know, throw out the window and say, we're just going to do it different. Right. Okay. So did, did I miss out on anything by not, you know, working for wall street? No. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking I might have to go take an internship. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think you'd be qualified. I think you'd be you'd be overqualified. <laughs> All right, good. So, tell me about um, what ends up happening next. Yeah, so we uh, we we quit our day jobs, um, put in our notice. Um, at when you work on Wall Street, you wait until you get your bonus, and then you and then you quit, and then you quit. <laughs> uh, so we we did that, uh, and then we we moved down to to DC to start Front Point. It was. Um, had an idea on a napkin, really. It was yeah. DIY home security. We thought we could do it, you know, in a way that was more technologically advanced. Um, and our our founding philosophy was really around 
just great customer service, leveraging today's technology that existed and delivering what I called 12 out of five star customer service. And that was the, the founding principle. And, um, you know, our, our original business plan got ripped to shreds. I think it's Mike Tyson that says everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And, yeah. Um, in startups, I'm sure you're well aware nothing goes according to plan until it does, but it takes a while. Dude, it's so funny you say this because, um, you know, I, I look at all my businesses and the plan on every single one of them starting out on how I thought I would make money um, just did not happen. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And you have to go through that failure to realize how to actually, you know, build longevity and give your customers what it is they truly want 100%. and need. Um, and it's fun. I, like, I literally just filmed a Loom video um, to all of the people who own stores at Lunar Ecom. And, you know, Lunar Ecom is a very new venture for us. It's coming up on a year old, and um, it just hasn't gone the way that I thought it was going to go. We've had ups and downs. Um, you know, originally thought we were going to sell on Walmart. Then we had to pivot to Amazon, and now we're pivoting to this three-store model where, you know, now customers um, are going to be getting a, basically a three-store membership where we're able to sell products on three different stores for them, and it kind of diversifies the risk and... Um, like you're talking about, we're, we're trying to de-risk them because I see being in the industry now of like, okay, yeah, this does work. But to me as a customer, if I were a customer, I would want this because this gives me the best chance of success in the long haul, um, especially as markets and economies and things change. And so, um, we're actually going through that right now with Lunar, um, basically of taking that core business plan of what we thought would work and showed signs of working and tweaking it and adjusting it and making it better. Yeah. It's funny. You, you have this vision of what you're going to create. And in many cases, that vision is still true, but what it takes to get to that vision is totally different. So I think what you're talking about is, you know, you had a plan and you learned, you know, what you thought was going to work didn't, but other stuff you're seeing is working. And to get there, you've got to listen to you know, you got to do a lot of listening to your customers. You got to do a lot of listening to your employees. Yeah. Not get so, you know, so ingrained in the vision and how it has to work this particular way. Right. Because it, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It does not work the way you think. Uh, another story, I, I kind of told our employees at Lunar because you're talking about them because they gave me a lot of feedback on what they thought based on what they're seeing would be best for everyone overall. Um, and, you know, I, I was just thinking about, you know, at Future Flipper, when I was first starting that education company, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to make one course and I'm going to run ads and we're just going to sell the course evergreen. And it's going to be like printing money, <laughs> you know, because you don't have to coach, you don't have to teach. Like, it's going to be great. You don't have to do anything. You don't it'll have to just, do anything. It'll just run itself. Yeah, dude, I thought that. And I was like, this is great. And then um, <laughs> in the first like couple of months, we might have sold like a couple of courses. <laughs> and I was like, huh, okay. And, you know, every entrepreneur has this choice to make when that actually happens. When you get punched in the face, your plan does not work. You're all hyped up on it. You think it's going like going to be great and it just doesn't. Right. And you have a choice. You can quit or you can adapt. You can try new things. And so eventually I realized that, you know, in order to be successful in education, um, you have to, you know, build a community, one that people want to be in and have other people around them. 
you have to have actual coaching. Like most people just don't want to learn from a course. They would much rather pay more money to have a mentor and have a coach. Um, they want to have events where they can go meet other people and like meet you in person and um, you know, all this stuff. And we started to just pick all these things up as the years went along and it formed this, you know, company that we have today where it's like, okay, now we have a model that we know works. People love it. People refer it. They re up, they, you know, and for your business, that's huge, right? Like, you know, how often are they reing up and staying with us? Like that tells us, okay, if people are, you know, have a high renewal rate, we're doing something right. And so, um, it just took a long time at future flipper to figure out what it is the customers wanted. 100%. If you're listening to this podcast, then my guess is you're interested in real estate investing. Some of you are just starting out while others are trying to scale their business to the next level. But the problem is with so much information out there, most people don't know which program or coach to trust. Well, I'm a bit biased, but I believe my company, Future Flipper, can help you get to the next level. We've coached thousands of students from all over the world on how to build their real estate investing business. It doesn't matter whether you want to flip, wholesale, or buy rentals. Our coaching program has everything you need to become a great investor. There are many things that we include with coaching, but to give you a few examples, you're going to get an accountability coach. These are people that have had success in their own business, and they want to make sure that you achieve success in yours. We also have all of our documents, our systems, and processes that I've used to buy hundreds of homes. You can copy and paste them directly into your own business. And we have events where you get to meet me, top-level guest speakers, and other students who are crushing it. My students do deals with each other, and I personally do deals with them too. In fact, at a recent event, I just honored over 20 people in our program that made over a million dollars in the last year. So if you want to grow your real estate business, head over to futureflipper.com and apply for a call with our team. The call is completely free and they can help point you in the right direction whether you work with us or not. So go to futureflipper.com and book your call today. For the last year, the real estate market has been on absolute fire. Prices are at all-time highs, interest rates are at all-time lows, and there is more money in the economy than ever. But with so much competition, many investors are sitting on cash, struggling to find great deals. If this sounds like you, then you need to invest with Pineda Capital. With my network and social media following, we get access to the best real estate deals all over the country. And if you're an accredited investor, you can invest with me on those deals. In fact, last year, we purchased a 334-unit apartment complex in Georgia for almost $20 million. We expect it to be worth well over $30 million when it's all said and done. Our goal with each deal is to build in so much equity from the beginning that we're able to refinance our investors' cash out and own the properties together with little to no money into the deal. And the best part is, you don't have to do anything. Our team will find the deals, handle the renovations, get them leased, and eventually refinanced or sold. All you have to do is provide the capital. So if you want exclusive access to our deals before they hit the public, go to PinedaCapital.com to schedule a call. We can put your money to work today to start getting you great returns. So go to PinedaCapital.com now to get access to our deals. So tell me like at front point, how the business evolved between what you thought the plan would be to what you started seeing and how you adapted. Yeah. I mean, we were 20, 23, 24 at the time. So we, we didn't really know what marketing was. So <laughs> we, we had to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, so the, one of the biggest things was, was exactly that we had to keep pivoting and figuring out, all right, how are we going to get customers? How are we, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to evolve from, you know, two guys with an idea to actually getting people who are 
paying revenue. And, you know, there, there are these, there are these pivot points. Um, so how, how it evolved is, you know, necessity was the, the mother. So we always had the vision and knew what the next step was. And if the next step wasn't working, we would try the next and yeah. we would try the next and we would try the next. Relentlessness. And yeah. And we, we, we didn't really think anything of it. So it was back to being 23, 24 and didn't, you know, didn't know how it was supposed to work or how it was not supposed to work, but we just had sheer determination of this is going to be successful. Um, didn't feel like, it, you know, we had the doubts and the questions just like every entrepreneur does, but yep. we just, you know, failure wasn't an option. So how do you push past that? Cause, um, I find myself like, okay, now that I've had multiple businesses succeed, like it gets easier. Cause I'm like, I've been through this dude. Like I already know that failure is part of the process to success. And like, if, if it did go out of the park right off the bat, I would be surprised. Yeah. You'll have one of those, but yeah, but most anomaly. Yeah. And so I, you know, I find myself like, yeah, you know, whatever, but you know, the first business, it's always so difficult because you're just like, yeah, I'm hyped about it. And then you get punched and you're like, dang, is this the business for me? And, um, I, I think the most recent one that that happened to me was social media. It was like, I was so hyped about getting on social media and to grow a social media is like, you know, to grow following is extremely difficult. You can make videos after video and nobody's watching and you're not making money from it. And you're like, dude, is this worth like all the headache? I think a lot of it comes down to how much do you want it and how how committed are you? So if your, if your level of commitment is through the roof and you just, you've decided that, you're going to be successful. I don't know how long it's going to take. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's five years. Right. But if failure is not an option, you know, maybe what you end up being successful at looks nothing like what you started out as. But a lot of it just comes down to just sheer determination and not accepting failure. Right. And you know, a lot of that I would put, you know, coming back to, do you see yourself as an entrepreneur and do you believe yourself as an entrepreneur? That's part of it. Or are you just so dead set on? This is what I've committed to, and damn it, I'm just going to do it until it works. So, yeah, what point for those listening would you say it's like there's a point where you got to stop doing it because you're like, this is just not a good idea. <laughs> you know, like you could have all the grit and determination in the world, but it could be bad if you're just pursuing a stupid idea. Yeah, so, um, and I guess what we're talking about is, you know, are you going to be successful as an entrepreneur? So. If, if you're just, you have no traction and, you know, you continue to have no traction, I, I don't know what the right time period is. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say, but you, you get this gut feeling of like, okay, this really, this one really just isn't going to work. I need to, you know, yeah. come up with a different plan or a different idea. Right. I, so I don't, I don't think there's any sort of formula for it. I think it's, you know, it's just kind of a, a knowing feeling of, I'm not going to pursue this in, you know, I'm not going to pursue this anymore because I, but do you ever have any, um, you know, you hear these entrepreneurs who say like, yeah, I started five businesses. They all failed. And finally that sixth one hit. And, um, that shows the grit, right? Like they, they were willing to keep going failure after failure. And it just, maybe it wasn't failure in the same business over and over, but they kept trying new things. And like, did you have any failure businesses or just failures within front point? We only had, I mean, I've, feel very fortunate. So we, we came up with probably 50 different ideas for things to start. And so many of those, if we, and we were really close to leaving for a couple of them, 
so many of those, I think, in retrospect, would have likely failed. So I feel like, you know, pretty lucky and fortunate that we didn't leave for those. What What was a couple of them? Uh, oh, man. I don't even – I mean, there were things like I'm looking at your uh, – I'm looking at, you know, your your desk in your, your office over there. One was like this cable management solution, and it's like – what, who are we going to be to create a cable manager? It's like, <laughs> how many people actually even want this? Yeah. Um, how are we going to compete with, you know, Amazon, I guess was a thing back then, but you know, it's like, you know, we'll, we're going to get out competed by everybody and their brother. So that was, that was one of them. We almost left to become fast change oil techs like Jiffy Lube. <laughs> so literally <laughs> leaving our, our Goldman Sachs job to go like Donna Vest and, you know, Get under the hood of the car to to change oil. You guys didn't even think about like your own skill set. You were just thinking about products and services. Yeah, we were just you know we were dead set on creating something that was ours and building yeah. a business. That was you know it was like a we had a white canvas and yeah we were just gonna go paint something on the canvas and what that something ended up being there ended up being commonalities between all the ideas. So it was something that dealt with technology could be scaled uh, and had an element of making people happy, like really good customer service. So those right. were the the three commonalities we saw as we as we look back. Yeah. But fortunately, no, you know, we we weren't the the people that started five or six, but I, I feel like if we had failed, we would have been. Yeah. No, for me, same story. Um, all these businesses that I have today, like they were starts and a lot of them had um tough times at the beginning and now they're all a success. Like I haven't started a business that didn't work. Um, but I've also, like you said, I get an idea pitched to me every yeah. single day. I, I come up with a million ideas and I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool, but um, I don't want to do it for X reason. Maybe it's not worth my time. Maybe I just don't love it. Maybe I don't see how I would have an edge, like you said. Um, I really only want to be in businesses where, to your point of like, de-risking like hey do i have a competitive advantage do i already have a built-in customer base is this worth my time you know what's the marketplace for this product look like 100 percent. yeah so what were some of the failures though that you encountered that allowed you guys to be worth nine figures um so i mean i i would say you know it took us a long time to figure out how to you know how to really market and i feel like we did get get lucky from you know some of those perspectives, I'll, I'll go down uh, another another tangent. A lot of it was just trying to, you know, people are are your your most important asset. Everyone says, but we didn't really know how to manage people until five years into the business. So we had the wrong people in the wrong seats, and we had, you know, we held on to some of the people that weren't getting the job done for too long, and that really hurt growth and it hurt hurt uh, held us back from scaling. A lot faster than we ultimately did, so those are those are a couple examples. I'm trying to think, I mean, it, some of this is uh, is a little dated, so it's yeah. uh, jogging the memory banks here. So you, uh, what year was this? So we started the company in two thousand seven. Okay, and so you said you didn't know how to market, but you said you got lucky. What did you guys do? Uh, we we had relationships, so we knew people who had leads. We knew people who did know how to market. So we, you know, we did a lot of marketing through. So the original business plan was to work with affiliates. So we, we would pay them and they would give us customers and that would be brilliant. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, we wouldn't even have to figure it out. They would just come (laughs) flocking. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was something we had to really, you know, learn because it wasn't a core skill set of ours. 
Right. That makes sense. So tell me about like the technology aspect of it. How did you even develop, you know, security systems? I wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. Um, so I, we're, we're certainly technical, technical people, but I don't have an engineering background. My partner didn't have an engineering background. So, you know, the, the company we created was put together with a lot of third party technology. Okay. So at the, you know, when we started, we were selling back then it was a, a GE security control panel. You're just so, white labeling everything. Uh, it, I mean, we were selling the panel as, You'd see it, and it would say GE on it. But okay. The service was from us, so we provided the service. We needed some of the, you know, the we hardware needed was, the hardware. Yeah. And at the time when we started, it wasn't common to make your own hardware. But over time, we had to adapt the hardware to our uh, to our particular company. So we had to go figure out how to, you know, contract manufacturer getting a control panel built. So we had to hire people that had that expertise. And over time, we we ended up getting into that uh, that part of the game, but took a long time so at the time i assume you know adt was like your main competitor they were certainly one of them what do you do when you're going up against someone like them who's just this behemoth uh you got to be really good on your sales pitch it comes down to comes down to why are you better so we had we had our sales pitch honed for you know back then they didn't have diy they couldn't they, they do today but they didn't have you know an ability to get the state of the art system to you tomorrow, you know, that allows you to control your, you know, your system from back then your Blackberry. <laughs> so it was, you really have to, we, we really refined the sales pitch and it took a, you know, took a lot of nose before we finally figured out what was resonating. This is what gets them to choose us over them. hundred percent. And a lot of it ended up becoming customer testimonials. So bringing in, you know, the fact that we would just delight and do a really good job for our customers that led to lots of online fanfare, you know, reviews and whatnot, and starting to incorporate that um, both organically and into the sales pitch. So helpful. Did you guys do any kind of door-to-door marketing? Like, if you just installed one, you'd go and knock their door. Nope, we were all virtual, so all um, referral, you know, internet-based marketing. So huh. we didn't we didn't do any. We were all out of one location, so we didn't do any door-to-door marketing. Okay, so you know, obviously, you guys came up in the age of you know, social media was about to start rising. Like, how did that affect marketing? Uh, it was really helpful. <laughs> really? It was really helpful for us. Um, we we did really well in the, you know, wave of... So since we really focused on customer care and customer support, that being the bedrock, we got really good online reviews. And the whole reviews platform, you know, a lot of the reviews platforms were built and growing in the time when we were building and growing. So we... We did really well in those types of channels and avenues because it was authentic. We were yeah. providing the best, you know, the best product, the best service, and that helped us because we, you know, we just rode those coattails. Right. So I think um, were you guys may were you guys before Simply Safe? Were they after or how was that? Uh, we were we were both coming up. I think technically they were founded a little bit before us. Okay. Um, and we were both coming up in the. Yeah, the the same period of time. Yeah, so that would probably have been your main competitor in the DIY space. Uh, yeah, they they certainly were, and then you know Ring and Amazon later on. Yeah, so tell me about that, right? Because you know we talked about competition. Your first taste was when <laughs> the bank came on campus to yeah. try and knock you guys out yeah. of the credit union College. and yeah, and 
you know, you start this company and there's another company starting the, you know, same niche and niche. And then you see the behemoths, Amazon mm-hmm. and ring just mm-hmm. go for this. And I know like even the cable companies like Cox cable and mm-hmm. stuff do security now too. So like, how did you navigate through all the competition throughout the years? Uh, well, f- fortunately we had a, a, a good experience early on in, in dealing with that, uh, back at the, the college credit union. <laughs> so we, we pulled a little bit from that playbook, but um, no, it's it's uh, not going to lie. That was definitely a tough, tough time period dealing with um, very formidable competition. But you know, you, you've got to focus and double down on your strengths, and you've got to figure out where you know. Since technology evolves and competitors and companies evolve, you've got to figure out where are there gaps that exist that we've got to fill, and you've got to figure out you know where can we double down on you know, our strengths to differentiate ourselves from you know, very formidable competitors. Right. As the world starts to go more digital, you need to be aware of which businesses are going to thrive in the future. One of the obvious ones is e-commerce. In fact, last year, e-commerce sales did over $4 trillion globally, and it's continuing to grow. Now, if you're like most people, you probably don't have time to learn a whole new industry and start a new business, but there is another way. You could partner with us at Lunar Ecom. We have over 300 e-commerce stores that we have created and managed for our clients. And the best part is it's completely passive on their end. The business model is very simple. You cover the cost of creating and running the store. We handle everything else. We pick the products, we handle fulfillment, returns, and customer satisfaction. After all that, we split profits at the end of the month. This means that when you win, we win. If you wanna learn more about how it works, you can watch our case study at lunarecom.com. I believe that the e-commerce space is going to continue to explode as the world goes digital. So make sure you're with the right partner who's going to be ahead of those trends. So go schedule a call with my team today at LunarEcom.com if you want to learn about how we can start taking your passive income to the moon. Most people want to get rich at all costs. They make sacrifices with their family, their health, and their faith all in the pursuit of money without even realizing it. But what if I told you it doesn't have to be that way? What if you could grow your wealth in all areas of life? Well, it's possible, and that's why I created The Wealthy Way. It's a community of people striving to grow together in all areas. And we have multiple tools for you to use that are completely free. You can get access to The Wealthy Way Planner, where you can set goals and hold yourself accountable on a daily basis. We also have our Wealth Builder Academy, which is over four hours of content, teaching you how to manage your time, create the right goals, and all the biggest secrets I've used to grow my life, not only in my net worth, but in all aspects. Lastly, we have our Discord community where thousands of wealth builders are all over the world encouraging one another and growing together. And once again, all of this is completely free. There are no upsells, there are no hidden catches. For me, this is a passion project and I wanna build a community of like-minded people. So if you wanna start living the wealthy way today, go to wealthyway.com. There you can get all the free resources like the course, planner, and Discord community. So go to WealthyWay.com. So you end up, um, you know, being in this business for a long time. Like, uh, you end up selling. Like, what made you want to sell? Was that always the intention? How long did it take? What was the process like? Yeah, for sure. Um, So thought we would own it forever, Um, honestly. Thought when we were starting starting it, we were 22, 23 and 25 and, you know, years old and thought this would be the, the forever business. And, 
uh, after a, a decade of working really, 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 really hard, um, you start to realize, okay, there's more to life than just work and business, and there's more to life than maybe just this business. So uh, kind of one day realized, all right, well, maybe it's time. Um, and it's just an internal feeling of, okay, let's just let's look at selling. So that, that process um, is a grueling one. And for, for any, any folks that we didn't really think about it. So we'd, we'd planned to own it for a long period of time. And ultimately when we went to, to sell, uh, it was a process of getting ready and it you know, ended up taking a couple of years before we ultimately did sell. Yeah. So I remember in Puerto Rico, you gave a presentation to um, us in this mastermind about, you know, how to sell your business. Mm -hmm. Can you share kind of like the process um, for any entrepreneur today? Yeah, for sure. A AKA me, who's got multiple businesses that, hundred percent. you know, I don't want to sell. I'm like you, but like, I don't know. You never know. hundred percent. I'd say the, you know, the, the best advice I'd, I'd give her, there are really two or three things. Build a business where you just have optionality and, you know, you're indifferent. You could sell, you could not sell, but if you've got optionality on an ability to continue to hold it and that's, that's great or you've got a business that is built that would be attractive to other people, then you're in the driver's seat and you don't, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to sell. So, you know, you can, you're more in a place where you can name your terms. That was one of the pieces of advice is just, you know, uh, he, he who cares least ultimately wins in some respects. Right. Uh, the second piece of advice was, you know, do a market check, like go out and take your, find a, a banker and have them come in and tell you what, you know, what, what your business is worth if you were to take it to market. And, you know, one of the, the best pieces of advice was even when you're not planning on selling, take your business to market to see, okay, what do buyers want? Where are there, you know, areas for you to, to double or triple your valuation if you focused over here? Or what are just really good ideas that you aren't thinking about? So, you know, take your, Take your business to see if it's saleable, one, and two, how do you, you know, start developing those relationships with those those people. And then the third piece of advice is, you know, know who your buyer is. So build your business, literally know who your buyers are, so develop relationships with them. If you're going into a sale cold and you don't know them, it's a lot harder for them to, to transact because trust is a huge, huge piece of any sale is, you know, trust between the, the buyer and the seller. Right. So those are the, the three pieces of advice I'd give. Okay. So you may or may not be able to answer this. So if you cannot, no big deal. But if you had to do it all over again, would you sell? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Just because of being kind of burnt out with the business? or I, I would have sold and I would have probably sold 18 months sooner. Just kind of market cycles. Like you never can tell the, the positive market cycle. So one other you know, one other piece of advice is when it feels hot, yeah. you know, and some, you know, people are throwing around stupid, stupid offers. Um, and you, you know, especially if you haven't taken any chips off the table, right. Might be time to take at least some chips off the table, but I would sell. Um, and you know, yeah, that's my short <laughs> answer is yeah. yes, I would have, I would have sold. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I've, I've had multiple people on the show, um, I can't think of who was telling me it off the top of my head, but we were talking about this concept of selling or even taking the company public and the pros and cons of 
all these different options, right? And, you know, when I thought about selling, um, like two things come to mind. It's like, one, what am I going to do after? Like, what's, mm-hmm. you know, why? What am I going to do with this cash that I end up getting or these options, whatever it ends up being? And then two, um, you know, it's just like when you sell, there's a taxable event that happens and um, you're not really selling for as much. And then you got to just weigh like, man, would my money have been better off just staying in that business and the return it's getting me in there? And, you know, now I got to go find a new business to get this return. <laughs> so, all, yeah, yeah all, all super valid considerations and everybody's got a different answer. So my answer is not going to be the same as your answer. Right. Um, but, you know, and it all also depends on the business. Like, you could be in a cyclical business and in a, you know, like a crazy high market and yeah, and you know, might be a good time to. Have you ever read sell. a book called Ready Aim Fire? I have not. Okay, over two on the book. Or ready, fi- ready fire aim. Sorry, <laughs> ready aim fire is what you normally do. This is ready, just fire, and then you aim after, which is what entrepreneurs do. But um, you know, it, it's the uh, founder of I think Agora, you know, like a billion dollar company now. And he, he was just talking about how, you know, uh, when you build a business like that, he, he encourages not to sell just for, you know, a lot of reasons um, that we just talked about and why it's fun owning a business and it's your baby and being an entrepreneur and, you know, all these things that come with selling too, you know, not even talking about the taxes, but the earnouts and mm-hmm. how long you have to stay on and, you know, all this stuff. Now you do have a boss mm-hmm. after you do it and... Yeah, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't know that I, I would do that. And uh, I might be better off just taking, refinancing my business and, you know, getting a line of credit against yeah. it. and or hiring somebody and, yeah, you still own it. So if you if you refinance it and you take a line of credit, you get, you know, all the all the best of best of all worlds, you get the cash. Yeah. Not taxable. Yeah. And you get to, you know, still stay involved and still call the shots and yep. not have a boss. Yeah, so I've thought about that. For sure, like, if, if I choose to... Um, you know, keep all my businesses and they get to the point where people are valuing them at, you know, good valuations. I'd probably, um, get a line before I thought about selling, but why not go public? Uh, oh man, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, not a, not a bureaucrat. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, what what would come along with going public is you'd get the, the notch in your belt that you took a company public, right? But you also get the, you know, the nine other notches with SEC filings and, and all that. So it's for some people. It wasn't, you know, maybe maybe it'll be for me again in a, a future business, but right. um, wasn't wasn't for us in this one. Yeah. So, okay, you exit this business, you know, you get probably more money than you've ever had. What do you do after that, man? Like, what's it? Because I, if I exited today and somebody gave me, even just say like 50 mil or something, I'd be like, huh. I mean, obviously I don't need to work. I can go just do whatever, but like I'm driven. I'm always, that ain't going to do nothing to me. So I'm just like, what does a guy like you do? What's the first thing? Yeah. So first thing I did was start looking to buy businesses. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you did what I just said of like, no, exactly. Yeah. Where am I going to put this money? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so now I'm full-time investor. So started a family office and, helping entrepreneurs go through, hopefully not go through the lessons I had to go through. Right. So, you know, I focus on three things today. Um, but it, you know, to answer your question, I just got right back into the game. I, I thought I was going to buy businesses and that was going to be it. But, 
a couple of the, the businesses I'm involved with now are, you know, startups. I'm not the, the CEO. I'm not the guy day-to-day running it. You're more of a like consultant. Yeah. Capital you're, you're the board of directors. Board of directors, capital, advice, all, yeah. all that. Um, so, so, yeah, so I'm now we, we focus on investing in crypto. So I have a crypto fund um, that we launched in January um, by small businesses and help entrepreneurs really scale from where they're at to hopefully, you know, 20, 30, 40x. Yeah. So um, you bought into my students' business, JD and Donnell. How's that been? Oh, man. H- how you like the real estate business? I love it. Yeah. I, I, I love, so the, the third thing I do is real estate, so. Yeah. Um, well, it's buying into a business. I mean, it's 100%. all the same thing. So, so yeah, so no, it's, uh, it's been tons of fun working with, with, uh, with those guys specifically and also in this market. Yeah. Uh, I've, we're in a hot market. Hopefully it, it stays hot for a while, but if it doesn't stay, stay hot, there's a, there's always, there's always another, money. yeah, there's always another part of it that's hot. So. Yeah. So guys, I'm going to plug this because this is fact. If you want to get your business purchased, you got to be in Future Flipper, okay? Go to futureflipper.com and get a free consultation. Uh, you never know who's going who's gonna to be uh, interested, man. Never know. You never know. You will not guaranteed to be bought, by the way. That was a joke, but uh, it has happened. So, okay, you, you mentioned something too, um, family office. For those who don't know, like, what is a family? Even I'm still like, what the heck do these guys even do? Yeah, I, I think the term is pretty, the term can sometimes be loosely, loosely held. So it's, you know, it's every, everywhere from, you know, the dudes that have, uh, I think there are only a couple dudes that have dudes or dudettes that have a hundred billion, but it's a collection of family money uh, or, you know, an individual's money. And it's like a private equity firm, but for a family is basically how I would describe it. And they, they make all of their investments, you know, they do it themselves as opposed to giving money to somebody else to invest. And, you know, it's basically like a an investment office, but it's for a family. So you wouldn't take other people's money in a family office? Um, you, you could. Um, so we, we do sort of a little bit uh, on the side. Right. But, um, at least for the, you know, the small business and real estate stuff. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, but it's, it's principally investing your own capital. But what about these guys who have a hundred billion? They're, they're raising money as a family office. Some of them are, some of them, aren't. <laughs> some just do <laughs> <laughs> when you, yeah. When you've got that much money, you don't really, you know, more money is actually a problem. That's true. Cause it's just getting devalued with all this inflation every day. hundred percent. Yeah, you know what's funny is I learned that um, over the years with these hedge funds. I'm like, how do these guys pay so much money? And they're like, well, dude, if they don't use it, literally they lose it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I will sell you whatever house you want if you're going to overpay me for it. 100%. Uh, Ryan Pineda, the the inflation protector right here. (laughs) I'll help everyone protect their inflation. So um, what do you think about all that, speaking of inflation, man? Uh, Well, so in the... The flipping business I'm a part of. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Like, we can hold a property and we have lots of safety. Like, yeah. Rehab took too long. Great. We made more. Inflation went up 3% this month. Great. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's, uh, it's definitely, it's a problem for, for, you know, much of America, but it's also an opportunity. So, you know, the government's 
still giving away free money to go, you know, what I think is acquire property. It, you know, everybody's got their opinion on is the housing market overvalued or not, but inflation is, you know, I think the latest print in February was 8% and you can borrow money at 3%. Right. So if your house is going to go up 8%, you could pay for it, you know, 80 to 90% with somebody else's money. Yep. You know, sign me up. Yeah. I mean, that's what I keep telling people. I'm like, I don't see any signs of it stopping. Um, I don't know where the supply is coming from. You know, there's no one selling. There's not like these people have bad loans. They could afford them. They're yeah. qualifying. Um, hedge funds are buying them all up. Uh, I can promise you those hedge funds ain't looking to sell. They ain't yeah. going to liquidate uh, if things hit the fan. Like they're not going to self-sabotage. They're going to just rent them out in cash flow. And, you know, so it, it, the more I look at it, even if rates do go up, it's still like, Okay, that's great, but um, where's the inventory coming from? Yeah, I think you. It's a very different market right now than it was in the 08, you know, 07 So 08 different. Crash. Hedge, hedge funds didn't exist buying single family real estate, and mortgage companies existed to you know, give Lend loans to, to anyone, <laughs> anyone at any dollar amount for. Yeah, well, and two, this has like always been my big argument as well is people just can't sell even if they wanted to, and they have a ton of equity. It's a totally different scenario from twenty. 10 where no one had equity so they couldn't sell it would have been a short sell now it's yeah i have a lot of equity because things have gone up so much but just want to refi yeah i have to refi because where am i going to move if i sell it's kind of like the whole sell your business argument (laughs) what am i going to go going to do with it yeah where where am i going to go and i'm going to have to pay the same thing over here that i i got to pay tax i got to pay all this stuff so you know when i look at those i'm just like Somebody give me a good argument for why it's going to crash. I haven't heard it. Yeah, I I haven't heard it either, but I think the the thing that always keeps me up at night is, you know, a lot of the the prior crashes are from you know, you, you start seeing it but you see it too late and it's from the the thing you no one expected or it came out of nowhere. I'm by definition you don't know what that's <laughs> but well everyone uh, thought it was going to be the pandemic 2 years ago they're like yeah. this is and it turned out to be an accelerator yeah i kept buying during that so i was lucky but i'm just like i i mean world war 3 but if you look historically at world uh, wars they always lead to even bigger booms in the economy cuz now you spend all this money you weren't spending otherwise 100% so dude i don't i don't know what it's going to be Maybe they'll find aliens or something, and <laughs> I th- I think you're onto something. Yeah, it's gonna just it's gonna be, be the aliens. It's aliens. It's uh, they find this infinite resource of some gold. That, I don't know. Maybe it's the metaverse. Maybe it's crypto. There you go. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, we'll all we'll all be living in the servers. Yeah, and so they're like, why do I need a house? I'm I'm living in the metaverse. Hundred percent. Actually, now that I'm speaking that out loud, that. That actually has the that's the best excuse I've heard for why people may not care about real estate is if they live so digitally that real world real estate's not as valuable to them anymore. Uh, world's going crypto. What can I say? Yeah, tell me about that. So you started a crypto fund. Um, why why crypto? What makes you bullish? I I have a fundamental belief that you know it's like ninety seven ninety eight when the internet was coming around and. Uh, we are living in it, and we can actually invest in it. So yeah. crypt- crypto is like the internet back in 97, 98. Right. 
I believe it's a you know technology that's going to be 100x easily what it is today in you know, 10 to 15 years. Right. The techno, you know, everything's been disrupted in this world except for maybe real estate and money. Um, and you know what? What better? You know, the there's been so much technological innovation up to this point to be able to create, you know, basically the the disruption of money and dis- disruption of you know, what, what we think of as currency. And I think we're here and today's the moment. And I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, and it's funny you bring up real estate and money because I agree. Like, I'm like, dude, real estate is so archaic in almost everything we do. And I'm like, I cannot believe nobody has figured out. How is it out. not? Yeah. Cryptoized. Even beyond crypto. How is it still so archaic yeah. even before crypto was mainstream? And, um, I've just realized that um, it's actually a good thing for me because it's like I can be the one to disrupt it. And, like, that's what I'm planning to do, you know? It's just there's so much I see, and I'm in a position where I have influence and I have the knowledge and the people around me that see the vision and understand it. And I'm like, you know what? may may not have happened because I just haven't done it yet. And, like, I'm just going to, yeah, I mean – it, it, I'm excited about Give it. Give it two years. That's like two decade, two or three decades in the crypto uh, in the crypto time time span. Yeah, and that's the thing too, right? Moore's law says that techno- technology is advancing at such an exponential rate that I feel like crypto is going to rewrite Moore's law. Yeah, accelerate even faster. I agree. Like it's this. Like to your point, I'm thinking in my head that the blockchain could change. You know, title companies and all this stuff. Like. A long time. I'm like, okay, maybe we're like 10 years away from this. But to your point, I think we can't fathom how quickly it actually is going to happen where people have to start doing it fast or they're left behind. I mean, how, how much longer can we all put up with the, you know, the title company shenanigans and you know, everything you have to go through to get a real estate transaction closed when, you know, I, I can do everything else digitally. Why can't I close a real estate transaction digitally? Well, that, um, you know, syndications and being able to sell ownership through NFTs and all this stuff, like there's so much. And, you know, with the innovations of Airbnb and you know, all that, like NFTs can drastically change those industries. So I'm most excited about that. And that's like what I'm working on with my project. Um, actually, by the time this airs, my project will be released so I can actually talk about it. Um, awesome. <laughs> so like you, dancing around it. Yeah, I am dancing around it, but I forgot. Like I, I filmed these so early. So um yeah, if you guys want to learn more about my project, uh, you can go to tykes.io, T-Y-K-E-S.io. Um, join the Discord community. Um, stay up to date on the project. We are launching soon. And uh, let me tell you, as I'm talking here right now, I'm coming to disrupt. Because, uh, dude, you heard it it is, here. it's ripe for disruption. I believe him, too. You believe you believe I, my I, conviction? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you? I, I saw I saw the look in your your face when you said I'm coming to disrupt. Yeah, coming to disrupt. Yeah, it's kind of bad because you know it, it puts a target on your back. Um, yeah, so we're of the same mindset that like I think money. You know, obviously we see with all the government money printing and these guys having no um, just like chain. They just do whatever they want. And um, with real estate, we already talked all about that. Um, is there anything specifically that? In crypto, you're really bullish about, or coins, or anything else. Um, not going to give away the secret sauce, but uh, and by the time this airs, I'm you know stuff is going to change a, a lot. But 
Um, you can tell me off camera too, but but what, what can you say publicly? Yeah, no, I'm um, I'm hugely bullish on, you know, I'm hugely bullish on DeFi, hugely bullish on, you know, Web three, hugely bullish on, you know, NFTs as as we all probably are, very bullish on some of the interchain coins. Um, so those are you know those are lots of lots of areas of my conviction right now. Yeah, I love it, dude. You're just. Uh, I'm curious to see what you end up doing as an entrepreneur, you know, in this space, you seeing it the way I see it as this is pre-internet. This is like so early. If you make a move, you're, you're talking, you you should exit more than what you exited, you know, from point four. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I see the same thing. I'm licking my chops, dude. Yeah. And every time, um, you know, everybody who's sort of a crypto layperson is like, oh man, the market's so volatile. I'm like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Every time it goes down, it's a buying opportunity. It's on sale. It's like buying real estate at a at a big discount. So Yeah, what if real estate went up and down every day, like violently? Yeah. Well, uh society would probably be pretty different, but yeah. Um yeah. Then you'd have a all the crypto degenerates trading real estate. They would, they would. Well, maybe it'd be impossible. Honestly, the only reason uh, real estate's not volatile is because the title companies are so slow. Exactly, <laughs> and by the time you've you've gone to, by the time you've gone to close a deal, you know it's it's already gone through three cycles up and down. It's, it's back <laughs> but, to where it starts. I shouldn't even say it's the title company; it's the lenders. The lenders are the ones who um, really make the process long. Hundred percent. Yeah, I wonder how lenders will get disrupted from crypto. There's a lot of things I've seen. I mean, there's you know, crypto, crypto is a disruptor to anything financial, so. I think lending, you know, there's obviously lots of lending protocols that are out there. They're all, you know, not very well known today, but just like everything else, I think, you know, crypto is here to disrupt lending, insurance. Yeah. The the Georgetown Bank would have some real competitors. Yeah, it's it's going to need to innovate again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll be here. I'll be uh I'll be here. I've been through it. You think you'll uh go help those those guys out again, man? You're mentor to all these small businesses. Uh Hey, if they uh, if you if you guys are out there watching, give me a call. Uh, I've done it before. Former glory, exactly. Well, yeah, glory, hundred percent. Well, dude, um, it's been great having you on, man. Um, I'm definitely glad uh, we met in Puerto Rico, and that uh, we've got so many common things going on. I appreciate you um, helping those guys um, and future flipper just take it to the next level. You guys are absolutely killing it with land and with flips. I mean, you guys are doing. You know, you just told me you guys got multiple land deals that are going to net over a million dollars. So that's crazy. I didn't tell you that. Or, or maybe I did. Something is happening. Your your boys have told me you guys are doing big things, man. So, um, yeah, dude, that's, it's super exciting. Um, you know, so we'll have to do it again. And the next time you're out in Vegas, uh, maybe uh, we'll have some different stories to tell about 100%. these crypto things. It'll be like a lifetime since yeah, in yeah. crypto. No, I'll, I'll be back in two months and <laughs> the crypto market will look like, uh, I don't know, it'll it'll certainly look well evolved. Yeah, dude. Well, anyways, guys, um, you ever want to get in contact with Aaron, we'll put his info down below. Definitely go check him out and uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching The Ryan Pineda Show. If you want to work with me, head over to ryanpineda.com. You can find my courses, coaching programs, and upcoming events. We also have free resources you can download, so head over to ryanpineda.com.